That, my friends, was today's guest, John Isaac Clark, CEO of Arturo AI, who, a little known fact about before joining us and long ago, was a, a band member and musician. And we, through the world-famous FNO research team, yeah, got our hands on a cut of his music. And now he's making music with AI. <laughs> that, is <true. laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> that Thank is true. You. He's using Thank his you. uh, genius now in the world of AI. What is Arturo AI anyways? <laughs> that's a great question. And I would imagine that's one of the first ones we're going to ask him. But in a nutshell, it takes all of this geospatial data from satellites and aerial imagery and ground imagery and is able to to make actionable decisions with it. So mm -hmm. whenever you're an insurance company, you plug into all these APIs so you can get data to make decisions, you're plugging in, into them. They're one of the ones you mm -hmm. plug into. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a fascinating world, something that I have no idea about, but have a ton of respect for. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited to get to talk to him today. The application in the property insurance vertical mm -hmm. is vast and just getting broader and broader and broader. And yeah. so we're going to hear about that today yeah. uh, from, from somebody who's at absolutely at the forefront and an authority on it. And, uh, and we look forward to that. And, and also, uh, we have a question out there for, for those of you who listen to us, who consider yourself a nerd. Okay. Lee and I are having an ongoing disagreement. Is that fair? It is, that it is but I think it, it's a question you have to ask everyone, not just if they consider themselves a nerd. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. To to all of our listeners out there, to anybody who's listening to this, yeah. we have a question. Is the word, term, phrase, nerd, a compliment or an insult or otherwise? We really right. want to know what you think because we posed this to JC today and yeah. JC considered it a compliment. He did, yes. Rob, also known as me, considers it to be mostly complimentary. Yeah, because you call people nerds. Because I do, and I say it affectionately. Sure. My friend Lee looks at it differently. Why don't you tell us how you look at it, Lee? I would, I would say for those people who consider themselves very, very smart, being called a nerd, they would take that and they would say thank you. Uh, but there are the other people who, who may not consider themselves that, and then whenever you call them that, they it brings up old feelings of, of past life and school because sometimes it has a negative connotation to it. So I'm all I'm saying is that, yeah, there could be some times that you use the word nerd and they're like, thank you. There could be other times you use it and they're like, I hate you. And so, you know, I just don't know if we have to throw around that word all the time. That's all I'm saying. Well, even though Lee just kind of tap danced around a little bit, he, uh -huh. he basically thinks it's more negative than positive. Y yeah. I just want to go on the record and say that being a nerd, being a self-definition of a nerd, if I call myself a nerd, I would say, that's okay. I would think that if someone called me a nerd, there could be some negative connotations surrounding that. That's what I'd like to put out there, that I think that the word nerd is absolutely a positive phrase. However, when someone takes upon themselves to call someone else a nerd, it, there's a negative connotation that could be there uh, that may not be if they're uh, calling themselves a nerd. I would say that the argument is, if I call myself a nerd, it's my own meaning, but there's an equal opportunity for it to be a negative connotation as a positive connotation if you call someone a nerd. They are equally likely to be offended as they are pleased. So we're interested in what all you think. Send us a note. Send us an email. Tell us what mm -hmm. you think. Uh, post mm -hmm. on social what you think. Is nerd a compliment or a more derogatory term? So that's what we're in. That's our big question for today. But that aside, we, we went through all that for you, JC. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, let's stop kibitzing and get to our conversation with John Isaac Clark, CEO of Arturo AI. 
Hey, everybody. We are here with a very special guest who's joining us sheltered in place in Dallas, Texas, John Isaac J.C. Clark, the CEO and founder or co-founder of Arturo AI, which, which is that? That's a great question since we're technically a spin out, but I'll go with, I'll go with founder as I was employee zero. Okay. Okay. Was it your bright idea? You know what? I can't take the credit for that. Um, the history here is actually, it was the bright idea of American family insurance. And, uh, probably have to point at Dr. Marty Buheim, who leads their data science and analytics lab um, for the bright idea originally. I just have had the privilege of executing the bright idea. First of all, I have to ask the question, Arturo AI. Arturo is a name, like a proper noun. What, how, how did you get there? That's ironically often the first question I'm ever asked. So thank you <laughs> for sticking with me. Sorry, uh, with the no, script. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm absolutely. looking at That's it right good. here and I didn't I'm want to deviate. Just glad my people sent over these questions in advance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, the funny thing about the name Arturo AI is um, when the business was spinning out for American Family, um, there was a number of potential candidates for the name. Uh, mm-hmm. And as any good startup should, of course, always do, um, we market tested and focus group tested <laughs> our names. We also had our uh, legal counsel uh, look at um, trademark uh, conflict, you know, things of this nature. And we had about three different names, and Arturo was one of them. It was also one of the names you could get a .i uh, .ai uh, domain extension for. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So the bottom line was out of the three names that we selected, Arturo tested the best. It also had the least uh, conflict from a machine learning and AI perspective, shockingly. But also it had some interesting backgrounds uh, that the team really liked. So the background on the word Arturo, the name Arturo, while many people, especially football fans like myself, may associate with uh, you know, soccer stars like Arturo Vidal, more kind of Latam is actually Celtic. It's the original form of Arthur, uh, like from King, mm-hmm. uh, King Arthur. Mm-hmm. And it means yeah. courageous, brave, noble, mm. and often trustworthy. And so those were words that a lot of the team members, myself included, felt we were spinning something out from a big company. We were trying to you know, take a step out into service a broader world. We wanted to... Um, be bold in our approach, but we also wanted to be, you know, trustworthy and uh, transparent in some of the things that you've mentioned on our website. And so the combination of the fact that we could trademark it, there was an infringement, and the name also had some um, background that uh, many of us, frankly, did not know until we started researching it was how we settled on the name. Uh, and it certainly sticks in people's heads too once they've heard it. So it's, a, it's one of those things. We had a soft one on not too long ago. And oh, yes. Love us all. Who's one of your customers. And Correct. he kind of t- talked about how you get to Hippo. Yeah. And it was not terribly unlike the story you just told. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the availability of the name and <laughs> being able to get a good domain name, et cetera. But let's take a minute and talk about the meat and potatoes here. Yeah. What What is Arturo and, and, and what is all this data stuff? I mean, let's talk, let's talk about Arturo, what you guys do, and then some other stuff about your origin. Sure, absolutely. So the simplest way to sum up what we do at Arturo is that whenever, uh, right now, predominantly insurers want to understand a property that they're either quoting, uh, they have an underwriting in the buying phase, uh, they're renewing, uh, there's a claim on, these customers reach out to our web-based API and they effectively send us a street address. As soon as we receive that street address, we fetch from multiple imagery, data imagery providers, so from satellite imaging providers, from aerial imaging providers, at times even ground level imagery providers, the most recent and the highest resolution images of that property. We then run these images through a number of proprietary deep learning, machine learning models, and we hand back in about five seconds, 65 plus unique property characteristics and predictive indicators that help them make a better decision about that property, about the structures on it, about their condition, about their potential risk. And that's what we do here at Arturo. 
So like, what would you send back in those five sets? What are you, you know, what is some information you would give them? Say that there's damage or no damage or possible damage or risk of damage. What do you, what do you give them back? So that's a great question. We provide a structured data response, which is, I think, a fancy word for Excel spreadsheet. It's not quite an Excel spreadsheet, but it's a, a structured data object that is easily pulled into you know, typical insurance uh, workflows. So it's all structured. So it would be things like uh, roof underscore material colon asphalt shingle. Okay. But then we oftentimes include for each of our responses what we call confidence scores. So one of the things that's interesting about data and about property specifically is things change, right? Now, asphalt shingle as your roof type may infrequently change, but it could change when you replace your roof. Mm -hmm. Number of structures on your parcel, your property parcel, can sometimes change. She sheds pop up, people build additions, presence of pools, vegetation changes, right, on, near, and around your property. So one of the other things that we do is we provide our customers, along with these um, machine learning predictions, because they're really effectively a prediction. The machine learning model is predicting uh, it's, uh, that these are the things that it is seen in the images. We also provide confidence scores, and these confidence scores will tell our customers something like, okay, we, we see asphalt shingle on your roof, and we are 87% confident about that. Mm -hmm. And what that tells our customers is how much they should or should not trust the predictions that our machine learning models are making, which is really, really useful because, yeah, we look at things like a a property, let's say a tax record, an MLS or, you know, a record on a property or tax record. Wouldn't it be great if it said, hey, this home sold on this date with these things, and here's how much you could trust this information? But unfortunately, that doesn't happen, which is one of the reasons why we've taken this approach. Um, It's part of that transparency we talked about our website, because if we're not very confident in the result, our customers should not use it. And many customers, including Hippo, uh, use this. If it's over a certain threshold, they say, you know, we've validated, we've been out in the field, and we see that when these Arturo confidence scores are over X, they highly correlate with like 98 plus percent accuracy. But when they're below, let's say 80 or something, we know that that we may need to look at another data point or perhaps there was like a poor quality image that the model was fed. And so maybe we won't trust in that case. But that's really table stakes in our opinion Mm -hmm. for machine learning. You know, I saw on the website there was a, I guess I would call it a feedback loop where somewhere in there you're verifying and training. Is that something that you rely on the insurance companies to do to give you back feedback if it's right or not? We rely on it from a number of places. Uh, So first of all, we do uh, enable our customers to push feedback to us through both a feedback API as well as a web application where they can explore and interact directly with these results. Most of what we send our customers is, again, an API response, and they consume it inside their, you know, quotation engines, their underwriting tools, et cetera. But we also have a web application, although only about 3% of our product is used in our web application, but it visually displays everything, right? So you can see the property, you can see all the things around it, you can see the neighboring properties and everything around them. You can see the, you know, the skylights, the roof AC units, staining, streaking, debris on a roof, you can see all these things. But for each attribute that we provide back uh, predictions for, there's also a little green checkbox and there's a little red X. And that enables our customers to push back, especially like when they're underwriting or actuarial teams are first beginning to explore our product Mm -hmm. um, to to score us effectively. Mm -hmm. And since they've generally run a, a test with us against information they believe to be ground truth. Let's say maybe they take a couple thousand properties where they've actually done an inspection recently. So they trust that that is, that's, that's, that's as real uh, to the current status can be. They'll then use that to also rank us. But this does create, as we talked about our website, the opportunity to capture uh, in a small percentage, but statistically significant enough of our transactions feedback. So we can catch things like if a customer suddenly I don't know, insurance somewhere in uh, South Dakota that has above ground pools or something mm-hmm. um, that the model perhaps has not seen a whole bunch of examples of in its training uh, process that will flag and catch those things so that we can uh, understand how the model is performing. We can take examples where it didn't perform well. We can flag those. We can create new training data that represents it. We can retrain it. We can test how it performed. And then we can publish back out uh, an improved model along with those statistics to our customers so they can see how we're consistently 
improving and capturing and measuring ourselves. I think it's table stakes again and machine learning these days. It's not a linear process. It's a continuum. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I see it being used, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but very heavily on the underwriting side. And I'm curious, it, it looked as though you can bring back a, a ton of data, just a lot about everything. Are there certain things that insurance companies are really looking for? Is it overgrown trees? Is it swimming pools? Is it root? Like what, what are the big ticket items that people are getting value out of? Great question. Yes, underwriting is probably the largest place uh, inside uh, our, our customers were used. And I would note that that started out on more of the pre-fill, some of the pricing and pre-fill, however, has now been just extremely dwarfed largely by renewals. Oh, because okay. if you think about our technology, a customer who uses our technology has an opportunity at extremely low cost, but with high accuracy to understand external property characteristics and condition, and this is the second part of your question, at a really, really economical price point. And if you do that every year for every property, suddenly without inspections, without sending people out into the field, without having people show up at homeowners' homes, which is wildly unpopular, I'm told these days, right. um, <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can actually measure change, measure physical condition attributes and inform the insurer. Year over year. Year over year, exactly. And this is without, again, humans out there. So the big ticket items, to answer your question, are oftentimes, did they increase or decrease the structure itself? Mm -hmm. So did they add an addition? Did they put other structures? Did they pool in there now? The next are conditional. Roof tree overlap for any state that deals with high winds, tornadoes, you know, bad weather, you know, especially Texas, where some of us are, yeah. hail, the more roof tree overlap you have, the higher the propensity, obviously, if that tree falls or the limb breaks off, right, you're going to have some form of roof damage. Beyond that, we're also uh, measuring things on roof conditions. So streaking, staining, debris, ponding, pooling, wind striation to the shingles, lifted shingles, missing shingles, God forbid tarps, are all things <laughs> that are very, very relevant to yeah. the condition of the property. Uh, so those are those are big ticket items. If someone's coming in, uh, we call it human bias. I think that's a kind way to put it. Okay. And just fails to mention that, you know, oh gosh, I did have a pool in my backyard. I totally forgot about that. Oh, um, yeah. That's obviously very important to, to an underwriter to know that it may not have been submitted by the consumer, but it is in fact there. So that that buying phase, you could catch it. Um, or if they've decided to add a pool, uh, and you know, which happens in Texas quite frequently, if you don't have one, um, and your neighbors don't, then you tend to thinking about one uh, to add things like that, that there's just really no way to catch without an inspection. And we can do it uh, very, very easily. And about 50% of the properties in the US, we estimate are covered almost four times a year by high resolution aerial now. So that's really exciting, because it means you could for about half of the homes, probably the, the higher value ones and the ones in major metros, you could take a look at them almost, you know, once every three to four months. That's pretty cool. So you're creating this history for a carrier that has a property, let's say for 10 years, you would create this 10-year history about the property and what's gone on there on a at minimum on a physical level. But does that matter? Does the history matter or does it just matter year over year on a renewal basis? I think the answer is it depends. Speaking of our dear friends at Hippo, you know, when I was I was having a conversation with Mike Gula over there, who's a fantastic guy, and we were kind of talking about, you know, the the sum total of insurers and the sum total of analytics or data information an insurer could gain about a property. And and one of the things that was interesting is that insurers are largely offering very similar products, right, to homeowners. And data providers or analytic companies like ours are trying to generate as many of these characteristics about the property. So what's the real value if everyone's trying to, you know, try to trade on the same data? Obviously, the more customers I support, the more insurers have, you know, level playing field, as it were, right. and the better for our business. But, but they're trading now on the same data, right? Mm -hmm. They're underwriting and, you know. So one of the things that's really interesting and and this was Mike's point, was the competitive advantage for insurers is not that everyone has the same data or somebody has data they don't. It's how they tend to use it, how they're better servicing their customers or creative products. So for some customers, they're coming to us and saying things like, 
you know, I want to go back in time. I want to use this as a time machine to go back in time and build like a three to four year history of several hundred thousand policies to, to learn what I could have, what I could know in three years if I could run this on a go forward basis, like what things would I have been able to catch yeah. that, uh, you know, you know, and so I want to use it as a time machine and I'm going to look at, you know, maybe several hundred thousand claims that are not a cat, you know, like a hurricane or major national disaster. Um, and I'm going to see what I could learn. Others are saying, you know what, I am going to use this on an ongoing basis, perhaps, to see change. So when that policy comes up for renewal, and there's, let's say, a really big increase in roof tree overlap, or uh, low lying vegetation uh, for, let's say, wildfire prone states, that's like encroaching the property, I'm going to be able to, you know, let's say 90 days before that policy renews, check that and then reach out perhaps to the homeowner and say, Hey, you know, we're going to make some recommendations. If you want to keep your policy the same, you know, or coverage the same side, so we're gonna make some recommendations about how you can uh, keep your property uh, more um, safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could, you know, so there's ways that you can obviously look at to benefit the consumer to lower it. Cause look, uh, while we all love insurance and we all need to have it, nobody likes to replace their home or their roof. It's a, you know, it's a process. It's never fun. And of course it's not fun for the insurer who has to pay out that claim. Mm-hmm. So, so the mo- more we can prevent bad things from happening by identifying, uh, contributing factors mm-hmm. and alerting them, I think the better life the consumer, their customer is going to have, and obviously the better their business is going to perform. So those are just a couple examples. But if you see my point, it depends how the how the insurer wants to use it. It depends where their customers are based, wildfire, you know, Wayne, Rentor, tornado, hurricane. So there's a lot of different uses for this, but those are some of the common ones that really excite us when we see our customers um, starting to get real value from them. You know, we frequently have guests on who are founders, co-founders, invented a great idea, et cetera. You guys are a little unique in that you spun out of a big top 20 insurance company. Talk about that origin story. And I mean, you have a long history as, and I'm going to use this term here, Lee, you have a long history as a nerd. You've been involved in data science and develop software development all things location based analytics all the way back to google earth yeah right right and so what happened here and how did arturo end up being the the end point for a long time really since 2005 so so 15 years decade and a half i um always was really passionate about location largely as um any of my team will tell you because when it comes to directions and location i am terrible uh, i think one of my teams said i couldn't find my way out of a paper bag with both hands and a flashlight um so when it comes to navigating in the physical world um <laughs> I wasn't great at it. I remember like uh, learning how to do dead reckoning with a map and a compass and, and gosh, like that was about the only thing that I could ever manage, but remembering a series of directions or, you know, the things they teach you about remembering landmarks or which streets you drive, I just was really terrible at it. So I was always fascinated by mapping, by technology. Um, I had, as I mentioned, the privilege to work with uh, like, for instance, the Google Maps and Earth product teams right after Google bought a little company called Keyhole and turned it into the product we all know and love as Google Earth, um, as well as some of the Street View team and others uh, in one of my last startups. So I was always really excited about it. The thing that was interesting, though, I was it, it had a, obviously a huge impact on all of our lives. Like, you know, think back just, you know. 15 years ago, you know, Rand McNally uh, atlases and, you know, were under the backseat of the uh, the car, right? And if you needed to go somewhere, you're, you were... Right. Yeah, there yeah. was, there was Tom, a couple. Thomas Remember Brothers. those little, uh, those little pins with wheels on them that you would use to trace down your, your atlas to figure out the distances, you know, you were going to travel and things like this? I mean, now we type in, you know, uh, you know <laughs> I do it because my, my Google Homes will all suddenly start responding to me. But, you know, we say, okay, and then that company that rhymes with Google and tell me how to get to wherever. And, you know, in seconds, it's at our fingertips and we're being guided. So that's really great as consumers. The thing that I was always a little disturbed by was that the the promise of what I call geoliteracy and this amazing amount of data from space, from air, from our mobile devices that's out there was really benefiting consumers, but it really hadn't yet had the same impact on benefiting a business, right? There was no 
you know, say a word and suddenly understand your risk or your property uh, condition and characteristics. So I thought machine learning could be a way to potentially unlock this. I was reading some of, uh, you know, back to the nerd part, reading some of Jeffrey Hinton's uh, papers in, um, on convolutional neural nets and the advances in computing that were enabling us to try some of these computer science approaches with far more compute at a way cheaper cost than the industry had ever seen. And so I ended up taking an opportunity to go work for a company formerly called Digital Globe, now Maxar, which was the world's mm-hmm. first and largest commercial satellite imaging company. And they offered me a chance to come serve as head of product for platform and build out a big data and machine learning analytics platform on 175 petabytes of satellite imagery covering the surface of the planet going back 17 years, which was one of the coolest things I have ever uh, wow. had the opportunity to do. And so through that, we were working obviously with oil and gas and defense and intelligence, um, international governments, but also right. Verisk, RMS, Allianz, right. right? A lot of folks in insurance space. And what became clear to me at, at, at Digital Maxar was that there was some there here, right? There was some really cool opportunity to take this information uh, and do something really, really specific. But what I also realized was, gosh, each vertical in business is really hard. There's a reason why a few companies, you know, do tons of different things, I guess, possibly with the exception of Amazon. But, you know, you know, it's tough to be an insurer and a, and a lender, right. you know, and a, and a manufacturer. So long story sure. short, after doing this, we went through an acquisition and a little company called American Family called me up and said, hey, you know, we're one of your customers. We've been using this machine learning platform. We'd love to show you what we're doing with it. And I said, well, gosh, that's my job as head of commercial product to understand what customers are doing. Yes, I'd love to come chat. And what they showed me just blew me away. So while most people had been taking satellite imagery, in my case, uh, and running it through machine learning to extract building footprints and say, is there a building there? American Family and, and Marty Buheim had done something really incredible. What they had done is taken both satellite imagery and aerial imagery and even ground level imagery of properties, and they had developed an approach to on demand, basically fetch any available data for a property, run it through these deep learning models, and then tested the performance and accuracy versus the other types of data providers that they had historically been working with to see if it was generating better quality data, more accurate, et cetera, from multiple sources, which was really cool because a lot of people were just doing this just on the satellite image or just on an MLS photo or you know, something like that. They were using all three. That was super cool. And they were doing it on demand. Yeah. So instead of having to go process the entire United States and 120 million plus residential homes, they were just pointing it. We call it focused and targeted insights. Like when you want to know about an address in a few seconds, we can fetch everything, analyze it, and tell you that reduces your capital costs a lot, right? So that was really cool. But the last thing they were doing, and this is what sold me, and this is why I came here and why I think our, our customers should be really excited about what we do, is they had said, well, let's go a step further. Let's take all of our claims data and our loss data, and let's see if we can now take this technology and do things like look to correlate some physical characteristics or condition with the loss risk, et cetera, right? You know, which of these things had were contributory to certain types of loss? And so they were kind of going up the value chain a step further because instead of just saying, hey, there's tree overlap, they would want to know, given all the factors, tree overlap, you know, roof staining debris, et cetera. How often did that type of condition correlate with a, with like a need for repair, right? Because they're insured, they got this data or a claim. Yeah. Right. And so or, or a claim. they said to me, this is what we're doing. We think this is really, really powerful, but we think it could serve an entire, the entire industry. Everybody has this problem. We're not unique <laughs> an American family and, and wanting this. Um, what if mm-hmm. we took this technology and what if we even took our data, our insurer data, and we spun it out so that it could serve as the rest of the you know, residential PNC, commercial PNC, and even adjacent verticals like lending, right? Like mortgages, um, you know, because a lot of these property characteristics are very relevant. And I said, you know, I've never seen this done altogether. The power of the technology plus the data was really unique. And I said, you know what? sign me up. This is really exciting. This is interesting. So that's how I got here. They brought you in to kind of nurture it to a point where it became Arturo. 
Correct. Yes. Effectively, I joined a CEO and, you know, we, there was a team of really talented people that had developed this technology that we, w- we were then in the process of transferring to Arturo, right? They had worked as data scientists or software engineers mm-hmm. for the data science analytics team. We obviously needed a corporation that was 100% separate from American family because you know, we are an independent business while they are a shareholder along with our venture capital investors and, and folks like IAG, uh, who we announced in our Series A raise. They're just a shareholder. They're also a customer. They're one of our biggest customers to this day. <laughs> they, sure. they use it everywhere. Um, so yes, I came on to kind of spin out the team, transfer out the intellectual property, and also, uh, which was was challenging, but was done and was really exciting, was you know, license licensing out data from American family that helps build these more advanced models. And one of the interesting things is since we've done that, a lot of our customers say, well, that's pretty cool. What if we gave you our data? And I think that's a big differentiator for us because if you have data, it's like mass. Mass is gra- creates gravity. If you don't have any mass, you don't have any gravity. But in our case, I think a lot of customers say, hey, you have a mm-hmm. pedigree of working with this type of data and a history of obviously maintaining it and treating it confidentially and yada, yada, yada. We trust that you'll be able to do the same with us. So yeah, that was mm-hmm. the, the process of getting the team, the intellectual mm-hmm. property, the data out, and then beginning to work with customers like Hippo, who uh, we're so grateful for, was they were our, really our very first outside American family. And Asaf and his team and Aviad and Mike Gula were really instrumental in helping us refine the product because it was for one customer, American family. And I was like, how do we create a product that works for everybody, you know, for, or that meets the needs of all insurers? Um, and so, yeah, I was brought on as CEO to lead that process. And it's been my pleasure to do that, you know, for gosh, uh, in August, it'll be two years. I can't believe it's been like less than two years, but it seems like a lot longer. (laughs) But uh, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And I have two questions. I know that you do business with Hippo, you do business with Kin, these direct to consumers or quasi direct to consumer insure techie insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Is that a coincidence? Those are your customers as opposed to, say, you know, more mainline, old, traditional incumbent insurers? Or do you have those also? We have those also. So while we're, you know, really grateful to some of the customers you just mentioned that uh, are, are that enable us to publicly reference them, put them on our website, um, you know, we also appreciate that some larger customers may not want to tip their hand to their competitors about what they're doing with us. So we do have a number of logos right. in our, on our website that we don't public reference, but that we are working with. I will say this, that our really like great friends at Branch or, or Matt and Tight Openly, they, as, as kind of these direct consumer insure tech startups, and Openly is obviously more to the right. independent broker channel, they have an opportunity to create a new product very quickly and largely more nimbly than you know, um, a customer with 8 million in PIF, right? You know what I mean? So that's, they can do that. Right. And they are trying to use new methods and means, uh, the latest in property analytics and property information to to then give themselves an edge, right? And so they can go very fast. And so we are privileged to work with those folks who are doing really innovative things. That said, they're not the only ones innovating by far. You know, one of the big exciting things to me is seeing how in an industry that largely hasn't changed in a hundred plus years, the transformation that is occurring right now inside insurance. And I would say even faster in many cases driven by COVID-19 auto surpluses that are being not only given back to consumers, but being used to reinvest in other parts of the business, especially due to concern about, you know, personal lines, the potential decline for, for auto insurance, micromobility and autonomous, consumer buying behaviors. You know, how do you inspect and understand a property without ever sending a person out there other than the homeowner themselves? I mean, that's one of the things we're talking about with Flyreel in an upcoming webinar later in May. So these are just really interesting innovations. And I, I, you know, I'm happy to say that, well, I can't give all the names of who we're working with. Folks in the top 10 U.S. residential PNC space are doing incredibly innovative things with technology like ours and others out there. Um, and that's really, really exciting. So, well, Branch and Openly and Ken and Hippo and some others like that are, you know, are out there front and center on our website. And we really appreciate their business and what we're doing with the opportunity to serve them. Uh, we, we've also been entrusted and given an opportunity to do some work for some really amazing large companies. And hopefully we'll be sharing more about that publicly in the coming months. Hey, I'd like to ask you a question on the claims front. So as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about 
all of the amazing technologies you have and how you can correlate all the data using things like weather data with weather alerts or, or fires uh, to go back and look at where a house was and where it is now. I, I assume that the only downside to a straight through processing using your software is that you don't have the real time images uh, from satellites. Like, so if we wanted to say there was a weather event, let's go look at the last satellite image and then let's look at the newest one. There might not be a newest one since the hailstorm. Do you see imagery catching up with the need that we actually have uh, being able to get data faster than we can now? Yeah, absolutely. And matter of fact, not sure uh, how many folks in the industry were tracking on this, but you know, recently our really good friends at uh, Vexel, which is a aerial imaging company and also develops, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and a little company, Geomni, who someone may remember from Veras days, joined forces and teamed up to basically create Vexel Geomni, where they're going to have now just some really amazing capabilities with the two companies combined assets and resources. And we've been really close friends with them and the work they do with the GIC for being able to bring imagery to the insurance space. Now, you know, there's two parts of this business, right? One is an insurer wants to buy imagery because someone's going to look at it. They're going to map out like how to respond to a claim in more traditional GIS use cases. And that's great. Our part of the business, though, is how can in seconds we fetch all that imagery, make sense of it, and you know give structured information back to make decisions inside business systems largely, or maybe estimate the amount of damage on a property very quickly. Um, that is transactional, right? right? You, you, there's just not enough adjusters in the world. I know like Austin Renfro, right? And you talk about people going out to deal with these claims. There's just not enough people to get to the homeowners fast enough in a major situation. So companies like Vexel, Giamni, and, and you know, Stephen Lawler, his team, Steve Lombardi, Rob Aggie, just doing really, really great stuff with what we call right, gray sky, being able to get into that area where disaster or tornado or you know, major event has occurred and really quickly deliver that. And now with capabilities like ours, instead of having to stare at every home and gosh, where are all the roofs ripped off and where are they not? Where's my insured, et cetera, to be able to effectively, you know, within literally hours of that plane getting down to the ground with that imagery, being able to process and disseminate and push out that information. Um, I think in the next couple of years, and here's the nerd in me, so I'm warning both of you, um, as drones <laughs> and the FAA and 5G, um, so as FAA relaxes or creates rules that would enable beyond line of sight drones to, to operate, it's things like COVID-19 perhaps put pressure on more deliveries directly to people's homes, which we've of course seen a plethora of. Mm -hmm. And as 5G is deployed in order to stream the imagery off drones in real time instead of having to have them land and download it from them. So think of these drones flying around that you could... You know, in a swarm of drones, just say, anytime one goes by this property, I want that image every time it goes by. We can look at even more exciting and fast responses um, to gray sky and, you know, kind of claim mm -hmm. scenarios and even potentially monitor properties without sounding too creepy. But, you know, their status and their condition um, like constantly, like, you know, they're like, well, Hippo's doing some really cool things with IOT and, uh, and I know some other insurers are too in your home. Right. But like, right. there's all these sensors, they're all pushing data, which is why 5g is important. So you can, you can consume from this fire hose, but instead of, you know, going, I get to look at a property once a year, it could be like every time property goes by check using Arturo's AI models, like if things are getting better or worse, and if they're fine, Drop it on the ground. I don't even care. But if there's a signal there that's like, boop, uh-oh, right? There's some, three missing shingles right now all of a sudden. You know, suddenly the homeowner's getting a text that says, hey, there's somebody on your way out, you know, tomorrow that's going to climb up there and fix it. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. But you get the point. Being able to be so proactive that you can avoid, you know, most major incidents, et cetera, by, by monitoring things real time. I mean, that's obviously what things like IoT is doing to like, whoop, your hot water heater is starting to leak, right? Let's get it before it floods your entire house. Same types of approaches could be done on exterior physical property conditions. I have a question for you as somebody who's completely, totally not one. What's a data scientist and what does a data scientist do? You know, you're going to get me in trouble with all my data scientists when I answer this question, right? <laughs> So, 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 <laughs> be so be nice. Well, be nice. I think that I think I'll, I'm going to speak for for our team here at Arturo and what I think they do or, or what they do. So, a data scientist, as I think, as a discipline, 
a technologist in many ways has a technical you know, bent to them because many of the tools to analyze large scale data sets are now computer science tools or, you know, they're, 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 they're software, right? There's right. things like Jupyter Notebooks, which are Python based, which is a computer software development language. There's languages like R, Julia, you know, that are, that are used to analyze large scale data sets. So it is a almost, you know, technical and mathematical discipline on understanding how to analyze and process very large data sets. Now, interestingly enough, as the, you know, um, machine learning, deep learning, you know, broadly AI um, or, or specialized forms of AI, which, which most convolutional neural nets and neural net approaches are, took off, they oftentimes have to deal with, you need a, you need a ton of data to train the model what things look like. And, and, you know, the dirty little secret about AI is that it's the training data uh, that is so valuable and important, which is why the data we license from American Family has been very, very useful to us and our customers in creating really fantastic models. Because if you don't have that data, you can't train a model to know something, you can't show it. Effect. So a data scientist now is suddenly a really useful type of specialty who is used to working with very large data sets, right? Um, or processing and uh, analyzing lots and lots of data. So a data scientist broadly is a mathematical and technical discipline that specializes in the manipulation, uh, exploration uh, of big data, but also often can be a computer scientist. As a matter of fact, two of uh, our, our machine applied machine learning team members, um, which we for, previously called the data science team, now the applied machine learning team, would consider themselves both a data scientist and a computer scientist. They actually have a background in both. Um, and, and more often than not, you see that becoming really prevalent. Right. They're geographers as well. In, in this case, many times, yes. And our, our CTO, Dr. Tuttle, is, is a PhD in geography as well, right? But he's also got background in computer science and uh, you know, in, in math and big data as well. So, yeah, all the things, as we like to joke. Very interesting. Let's talk before we go about COVID, which, of course, is something that at this point in time, all of us are dealing with. Share a few things about what's going on with you guys and some of your insights that you've gained about covid and its effect um, on in, on the insurance industry broadly, and on on Arturo AI specifically. Wow, there's I feel like there's that was an awfully big question. Yeah, there's it? a lot to unpack there. A couple things come to mind. One, our customers. I would say, you know, seeing how uh, many of our customers rallied around their customers um, to try to address. Uh, you know, some of the challenges that folks are going through, you know, some of which I wish I could just name publicly here because it's, it's so meaningful to me what I, I've seen some of our customers go do for, for their insured and for their communities. You know, it reminded me, I know we sometimes see on the news a lot of, you know, really terrible things happening in the world. Uh, for once, it felt like, you know, as a civilization, um, we were pulling together. I mean, I don't know that any of us have lived through an event that's, you know, had such global scale and to see the good aspects of our humanity and to see that through, you know, our key customers and how they were taking care of their people or their customers was really, was really meaningful. It felt good despite the bad to see that that could still happen uh, in our world and that goodness still exists. I think also, you know, we're all in this together is another big reminder that uh, we should all take something from. And in, in our team specifically, it was really interesting. You know, we, as a company, I decided to, on March 13th, put the entire company in mandatory work from home, um, which was slightly anticipatory, but we just didn't want to put other members of our community in harm's way, sending people, you know, through the public transit Chicago if they didn't need to be there. And there was very little information about whether, you know, you could be asymptomatic and be spreading it to others. And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and in fact, we had one of our um, team members whose uh, significant other fiance is a healthcare professional uh, ended up contracting it early on because, um, oh, yeah, because of, wow. the, you know, there was just a lot of lack of information, unfortunately, from uh, certain parts of our government. But the good news is because we were anticipatory and because we said, hey, we want to try to, you know, mitigate the risk to our team and our, our community, both uh, that individual and his 
his fiance were able to, uh, while they did get it, they were able to uh, have relatively mild symptoms, recover fully, and were already effectively quarantined. <laughs> so, you know, being able to do the right thing for our team, as I see our customers trying to do for for their team members and for their customers, has been a real powerful thing. You know, I, I would say, lastly, me and a lot of other CEOs, you know, friends or, or you know, founder, co-founder, entrepreneurs, um, and, and even folks at, you know, large institutions like, you know, American Family, who we still obviously have a very close relationship with, talk about a lot lately, like, what's the new normal? Like, none of us think we're going back to what it was before, but trying to understand what that new normal is, is a blot on our mind. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm always challenging myself uh, and and others talk is, is what normal do we want, right? In some ways, you know, I as a CEO of a company who travels a lot and, you know, works a few more than eight hours a day most days, I've really enjoyed being able to work really hard but spend time, you know, with my family in a way that I haven't in, in 15 years, right? And that's been meaningful realization that, hey, there are ways we can work and work together but still because we've been forced to with COVID-19, have experiences or parts of our lives that you know, maybe when things were so fast-paced and you could hop on an airplane and be anywhere in the world in a few hours, we didn't always realize. So I'm always saying, what type of life, what, what do we want the new normal to be for our teams, for our families, for our customers, um, and, and for our, yeah. our society, uh, I think is an important question to be asking right now. As somebody who also t- travels extensively and or frequently, I should say, it's been an unexpected upside to have to go to sleep in the same bed every night. Exactly. And, um, and there's a lot, there's a tremendous amount of benefit from that. And not just for me personally, but for the company, I think. As long as everybody else is willing to play along with the rules that have come out of this. And of course, you know, Zoom is now a part of our lexicon, right? Right. Zoom, Zoom this and the Zoom that, the Zoom meeting. No, absolutely. I, I, I find sometimes I feel like I, I, I must know what a television uh, news anchors feel like, where you're basically constantly staring at the camera and nodding and smiling. <laughs> uh, That's right. I, I'm like, uh, you know, Zoom, uh, that's the term, um, not anxiety, but basically like it's, it's, you feel like you're, you're constantly on camera, at least I do when I'm doing these. I was so thrilled when I joined this <laughs> podcast that there wasn't a video recording component, so I could just mm-hmm. be natural. <laughs> But, you know, that's another interesting lesson. It's like, you know, being, you know, that's a great way to see and interact with others. But, um, you know, is it always necessary, right? I feel like the work from home thing is you have to be on camera, right? You're proving that, like, I don't know. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm wearing pants right now. Like, trust me, we're good, right? (laughs) Well, that's why we didn't put on the video component. That's right. Rob always forgets the pants. We didn't want to know. Has someone done the the pantless podcast yet i mean that's i'm just throwing it out there could be a thing that was an idea that we had before we even started this thing the pantless podcast you know the podcast nda that you signed (laughs) great (laughs) have to talk to our our counsel about that one we've eaten up all kinds of your time today but you tell us you're a musician I am. Yeah, I actually played, I've played music since I was very young, uh, write music, um, played in bands in Austin where I lived, another you know, close to Waco. So if folks get down to the live music capital word very often, I played them, uh, gosh, Red Eye Fly, Emos, Antones, a bunch of places. This was a while back. I don't have the, cool. the time for cool. it these days. Well, listen, we really appreciate your time and your, uh, your sharing Uh, so much information with us about your company and yourself and we look forward to uh, maybe doing this again sometime you're a you're a delightful guest well you're very kind it's been a real real pleasure speaking with both of you and i'm glad you know that we agree on nerd being a great thing um would happily come back Uh, love to share any time in the future it might be interesting for you and your listeners to hear more um, or to talk on topics at large because I've actually really enjoyed just chatting. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know that we recorded the part of the conversation we were talking about nerds earlier and uh, we love nerds and they're all welcome here. That's right, Lee. All yeah. nerds. All nerds are welcome here. All nerds. Isn't that right, nerds. JC? I feel welcome. Isn't I feel the right? love. I feel the love. It's totally right. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Lee and I were just 
talking before we started our outro here that we are so fortunate that we get to interview so many very, very, very smart people. And, yeah. And today was, I think, one of the smarter ones. Yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know what's in the water, but we've been and we have been interviewing <laughs> crazy intelligent people over the past month, and today was no no exception. He has done a lot. Yeah, and I think that we owe some of it to COVID and to the fact that you know everybody's sheltered at home, and so they're not in airplanes, they're not in airports, they're not in strange cities where they don't usually live. Yeah. And I'm sure that Alicia, our producer, would be able to tell you that um, it's just a little bit easier to get through to people now. But that being said, it's it doesn't diminish what an what an honor and privilege it was to have um, John Isaac with us today. Yeah, we, we talked to so many insurance carriers who say, yeah, we use APIs and we're able to give real-time real quotes and this is where we get our data. I mean, his company is the one who is supplying the data. Arturo is able to give all this information for these underwriters and these claims and uh, all these insurance companies to really service the customers and make the right decisions mm -hmm. and the knowledge that goes behind it. I mean, it's just a lot of them. And whenever you look at their, uh, their about us page, it's doctor after doctor after doctor, right? There are so many people who work at this company. Um, and it, it's just really, really neat. Right. And a very interesting origin story, um, spun out of American family that American family recognized that this, that the commercial uh, viability and uh, potential of this, of this company was, was large. Isn't it interesting how American family is in the center of so many uh, conversations we have. Whenever Absolutely. you think about why well, we've done 76, 77 of these, I'm not sure I lose track, but American family has spoken in many, many of these. Uh, they are, they're, there, there must be some very intelligent people there uh, who are interested in innovation and, and, and getting a better product. Well, we had Dan Reed on, yeah, who was one of the most thoughtful and introspective VCs that we've spoken to. So one of the things that I think American families have been able to do, and JC is a good example of it, is put together teams of really, really, really strong people. Yeah. They understand that. The idea is one thing, but having people that can act on the idea and implement the idea is another. In that business one-on-one, surround yourself with bright, smart people who, who can do, and it sounds like they actually do what they're supposed to do. They surround themselves with really smart people who can do what they need to do. Yeah, and look at you. You're stuck with me. I, I, I've got you. Who's got a crazy good memory, by the way. Yeah. In fact, as we know, JC is a musician, and I was just uh, singing a, one a of the uh, one of my songs from my childhood, a jingle from my childhood. Y'all are the same. Mm -hmm. You both are really smart. We thank J.C. Clark for being with us and for sharing so much fascinating, interesting information for those of us who are in the insurance world. You know, sometimes I have to laugh, and I've <laughs> we've maybe said this before that you know I've I've made my wife listen to a podcast now and again, and not thirty seconds, and she's asleep. And so <laughs> right. for all of us out there who listen to this podcast and produce it, let's remember we work in insurance, That's and right. it's not necessarily something that you know pay money to go see. Yeah. yeah. You just pay money to have it protect you. And so um, that's what we do. But we'll leave you today with two things. One is our normal goodbye. And two is the jingle that I remembered from decades ago. <laughs> so with that, we say what we always say. Goodbye, everybody. Once upon a time, I was an engineer. Charlie was his name.